This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians this morning, if you would. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. Continue our series entitled Magnify Jesus. If you missed any of the messages so far, uh, you can always get caught up on our website at huikala.church. Uh, you can also download the Huikala app if you have not already. Uh, I highly recommend that because not only can you listen to previous messages, you can also download a copy of the notes for today. Uh, there's also a button that if you click fill in notes for today's message, you can follow along in your browser and type in your notes as you go. And then at the end, you can email those to yourself. Uh, that's through the Huikala app. You click on podcast and click on uh, magnify Jesus in today's message. Uh, whatever you do, take really good notes. Uh, I send out an email or we post on social media a link to the uh, notes for this week. And the link stays the same for the entire series. So if you want on, on Saturday afternoon, click that button. Uh, it, it'll take you to our church website. You can print out your notes and bring them with you if you want to. In the past, we tried to help you uh, conserve paper and keep all of our notes on one page, but this week we got a lot of uh, uh, verses to cover. Uh, so we uh, didn't get them all on one sheet of paper, but hopefully you got a copy of the notes for today. If not, just take really good notes uh, as we go through this passage of scripture this morning. Just by way of context, uh, again, uh, Paul wrote the book of Philippians from Roman prison. He was in prison for preaching the gospel, and so he um, writes this letter to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was a church that he had started himself. Uh, there were um, a, a group of folks that had started the church with him about 10 years prior, and so he now writes a letter back to the church that he once pastored, and it's just a letter of joy. He's just so overwhelmed uh, with gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done in the life of this church family, and so he writes this letter to, to the church at Philippi. The uh, first chapter, he talks a lot about their partnership together with him in the gospel and what God was able to accomplish uh, by way of the gospel in them and through them. We find ourselves today in verse number six, and so that's where we'll, we'll spend our time today. Uh, verse number six, uh, Philippians chapter one. We're gonna start in verse number one just for context and read through verse number six this morning. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, verse six is where we'll spend our time today, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. As we look at this uh, passage of scripture this morning, only one verse, and here's what I did. I did you a favor this week and you didn't even know it, right? That's how good of a pastor I am because this uh, verse here talks primarily about salvation and the work that God continues to do after our point of salvation. And so today's message was supposed to be about salvation, sanctification, and glorification. Three parts of today's message, we were gonna put it all into one. And as I got to writing the message and putting more resources in and quoting other verses and stuff like that, it got a little bit longer and longer. So I thought, I'm just gonna chop off and we're just gonna focus on salvation today. Sanctification and glorification next week. And then I began to put together a message on sanctification and it got a little bit longer than I'd anticipated. And so then we ended up chopping that off. So for the next three weeks, we're going to spend our time in verse number six, talking about what it means when Paul says, he who began a good work in us. Uh, what does that exactly mean? What does it mean that he's going to continue it until the day of Jesus Christ? 
Now, it's also important that when we look at a passage of Scripture that we always look at the Bible in context. You always, let me tell you this again, always want to read the Bible in context. What is he saying? Who is he saying it to? What does he mean by this? How do we apply it to our lives? Now, some people have inappropriately misquoted or misused verse number six to basically say that uh, God wants to continue to do whatever you want him to do in your life. Um, someone afforded me a tweet from Joel Olstein. Uh, needless to say, I don't follow him on Twitter, but somebody followed it to me. And he basically was uh, kind of paraphrasing this verse in a way that he wanted to say it. It says, God doesn't uh, promise something and then change his mind. He doesn't put a dream in your heart and then take it back. What he starts, he finishes. So when the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, he's not talking about God making all of your dreams come true, okay? This would be a gross misapplication of God's word. That's not what God's saying at all here. And again, when we reduce the holy Jehovah God of the universe to a God who simply exists to help you make all of your dreams come true, we really denigrate the image of God and who he is. God doesn't exist to uh, make all your dreams come true. God doesn't exist to give you a good life. God exists for his own glory. And so it's our job as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to glorify him in the way that we live our lives. So scratch that, not a good exposition of scripture for sure. This verse, however, does deal with what we call soteriology. Soteriology is kind of a, a Bible word nerd uh, definition to mean uh, talking about the things that deal with salvation. Soteriology is the area of Christian theology that's focused on the saving work of Christ, including the issues of atonement, grace, human nature, sin, and resurrection. The term derives from the Greek soteria, which means salvation. So when we talk about studying soteriology, we're talking about studying the doctrine of how we're saved, how we have our sins forgiven. Uh, we're gonna be talking about, uh, not in this passage today, but when we talk of soteriology, we talk about things like propitiation and expiation and redemption uh, and atonement, uh, things along those words, justification. We'll talk about those when we talk about salvation. So when Paul's speaking here, that he which began a good work in you, the, the phrase that Paul uses, began in you, that phrase that he uses, is only used twice in all of the Bible, and both times it speaks of salvation's work in us. And so it's important to understand when Paul speaks of he which began a good work in you, he's talking about when you became saved or born again, the work that God started, he's gonna continue that on through your life. We'll take a look at how that breaks down over the next several weeks. I came across a, a study that the Barna Research Group had done. The Barna Research Group, think of them as like Gallup polls for Christians, if you would. Uh, they basically study uh, society and church and things along those lines and do a lot of polls and questions a lot of people and stuff like that. One of the researchers, uh, studies that they did came out last week with the, the following findings that are in this really big chart that you're gonna see on the screen here. Um, but they asked uh, people who professed to have some level of faith in America. They surveyed 2,000 adults and came back with uh, these questions and answers that they had. And some of these are very, very troubling uh, on in the surface. One of them is greatly encouraging. But uh, the first question they asked them is having faith, uh, is having a faith matter more or which faith you have? In other words, is it is it good enough to just believe in something or does it really matter what faith you have? 63% of adults in America said that, that were surveyed said that it was just good enough to have faith in something. Now, we would understand if that were talking about unsaved people, but these people come from different uh, self-identifying categories of evangelical, Pentecostal, uh, mainline Protestants, Catholics, or born-again Christians, or people who identify as others or uh, religious skeptics. Uh, so in, in cases like this, that's how they break down. For us as Bible-believing Christians, we would probably identify more with the born-again Christian category for sure. 
Now, on top of that, they ask the question, you consciously and consistently try to avoid sinning because you know your sins break God's heart. 56% of people surveyed said that that was uh, true for them. 54% says that they don't think that that is true. 85% of evangelicals, 82% of Pentecostals, 58% of mainline Protestants, 65% of Catholics, 82% of born-again Christians, 36% of others, and 16% of religious skeptics identified that as so. This is troubling to me because so many people view their sins so flippantly. If these numbers say anything to us, it's saying that more than half of the people surveyed say that their sin is not really that big of a deal at the end of the day. But some of these said that they, they consciously try to avoid sin because they know the implications that it has on the heart of God. They asked the question, you have a personal responsibility in appropriate situations to share your religious beliefs with people who believe differently than you. The majority of even people who claim to be Bible-believing Christians did, did not agree with that. Less than 50% of the people surveyed believe with that. And, and again, this is a, a terrible, terrible thing because many people who self-identify themselves as Christians don't see the need to share their faith with other people. This is greatly concerning. They ask the question, a person who's generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. Uh, 48% of people surveyed said that they believe that. Uh, the troubling part of it, if you look at the statistic, again, 70% of Catholics would agree with that statement. But 38% of born-again Christians believe that? Like, first of all, this is disheartening because people who claim to be born again Christians 38% of them really believe that you can be a good person and make it to heaven you don't understand the Bible this is a lack of discipleship on your part on the lack of your, your pastor's part for sure and so these statements should concern us the last one here that was moderately encouraging for me was you consider yourself to be a Christian and when you die you'll go to heaven only because you've confessed your sins and accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. 100% of born again Christians believe that. Uh, that was encouraging to me. But the troubling part is the majority of people who even uh, identified either as evangelical or mainline Protestants could not with 100% certainty say that uh, for sure. And for Pentecostals it was almost 50% of them could only say that they were going to heaven for sure because of their faith in Jesus. I pulled this chart out for, for this. I know it's a lot of data and stuff like that, and you might not be a data person, but here's what I want you to see. Salvation in churches is confusing. A lot of people don't know what they believe, why they believe it. A lot of people are confused as far as what the Bible teaches. And here's the thing. God doesn't want salvation to be confusing. It's very, very simple. Belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior Repentance of sin saves us for all of eternity for good. That's what the Bible says. Very, very simple, very straightforward. Which leads to the question, who would want to bring confusion to the gospel if it's so simple? Who would want to create multiple belief systems, some of which have varying uh, views on the, the importance of sin or the importance of righteousness or the importance of Jesus? Who would do something like this? And let me just tell you this. Confusion is not of God. The Bible says that God's not the author of confusion. And the Bible also says that the devil is a liar. And so the only person that wants to confuse the simple, simple plan of salvation, the simple, simple gospel, the only person that would want to confuse that is the devil. So again, we want to bring clarity to this. We want to know what does the Bible say. When he which began a good work in you, what happened when he began that good work? How did you get that good work? How do we live that out in our life on a day-to-day -day basis and continue in that? We're going to take a look at that here today. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, I want you to jot down some thoughts as we move through this passage this morning. This morning, we're going to talk, take a look at the idea of justification. 
Now again, we could be, we could look at several different things when it comes to our salvation of, of propitiation or expiation. Uh, we could take a look at redemption. We could take a look at righteousness and justification, things along those lines. Today we're gonna take a look primarily at justification. Justification is basically a legal term that deals with our standing of either guilt or innocence before God. A justification refers to the divine act whereby God makes humans who are sinful, guilty, and therefore worthy of condemnation acceptable before a God who is holy and righteous. Here's what the Bible says. Justification deals with the fact that you and I are guilty of our sin before God. Now, that's the point that's not really up for discussion. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've broken God's law, you've broken God's law. That's just that. We are guilty before God. Now, our guilt before God, there's consequences for that. If you've broken God's law and you have, if you've sinned against God and you have, if you're a sinner and you are, the Bible says there's consequences of that sin. The Bible says that we're born spiritually dead into this world, so Every person is comprised of a body, soul, and spirit. And while you were born physically alive, your spirit was born dead. Because of that, you have no connection to God whatsoever, and that actually makes you the enemy of God. And because of your sin, you will remain spiritually dead. Because of that, when you die physically, your spiritual death will continue. Your spiritual death is a separation from God in a place called hell. Hell burns with real fire for all of eternity and there's no second chances, no getting out of that. That is what you deserve. That is what I deserve. These are the consequences of our sin, the Bible says. It's terrible. When you die, you deserve to go to hell. When I die, I deserve to go to hell. That's what we get because of our sin. Now, that's a terrible thing and God doesn't want it to be that way. So the Bible says that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Romans chapter five, verse number eight. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is I was supposed to die, Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished, Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure God's wrath because of my sin against him. Jesus took the wrath for me and he died in my place. And the Bible says, if you would be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, that all the wrong that you've done can be paid for and forgiven by Jesus and Jesus alone. That if you'd be willing to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died for your sins. If you'd be willing to believe that you can't make it to heaven on your own and you would be willing to confess your sin to God and say, I've messed up, I've blown it. The Bible says that you can be saved. Romans chapter 10 says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we can be saved. We'll take a look at what we're saved from and saved to a little bit later. Jesus said it this way in John chapter three, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You need to be born again to go to heaven. You need to be saved to go to heaven. There's no other way other than Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we need to be saved to go to heaven. And so justification takes you and I who are wrecked by our sin and you and I are declared righteous before God. I'm gonna ask uh, Ron Grenny to come up here for a sake if you would. Ron, come on up. Ron is a sinner. Ron would agree with that statement. Ron's life is demonstrated by a life 
of sin. When God looks at Ron, he sees Ron clothed in his sin as a sinner. And because of this, Ron will be punished because of his sin. When he stands before God one day, he's going to stand before God and he might say, oh, no, I went to church. I was a really good person. But God sees his life that's covered in sin and stains. And God says, you can't be in here because you're sinful. Now, no doubt at times in our life, we've tried to cover up our sin. Maybe we'll turn this thing inside out and maybe it will go away. Maybe I'll try to cover it up and patch it up a little bit. Maybe I'll throw it in the watch with some extra bleach and maybe it will come clean, but it never comes clean because we cannot cleanse our own sin. Our hands only get dirtier and dirtier through the process. Tim Warner, come up here if you would. So, Ron, hopeless in his sin, has no hope. When he stands before God, he's gonna be judged because of his sin. So God sent his son, Jesus, who was perfect, spotless, no blemish, no sin, nothing whatsoever. And God sent his son Jesus, robed in righteousness to this earth to live a perfectly sinless life. And so God, perfect, without sin, walked among us, 33 and a half-ish years, Ever sin one single solitary time, and he went to the cross and he paid for the sins of mankind. And so, Ron, here's the story of what Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. And Ron comes to a place to realize he cannot cleanse his own sin, and the more that he tries to do the right thing, the more of a mess he makes of it. And Ron one day decides that he's done trying to fix it on his own, and he puts his faith in Jesus. And he says, God, I know that I've wronged you and I'm putting my faith in Jesus today as my savior. Forgive me and save me from my sin and save me from myself. And God says, done. At that moment, God took the righteous, or, sorry, the sinfulness of Ron and he placed it upon Jesus Christ. Took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and placed it upon Ron. Now, because Jesus is covered in sin, what has to happen to our sin? It has to be punished. And so Jesus took my sin, Ron's sin, every, the sin of every human being who had ever walked this planet, and he took it to the cross once and for all, and he put it to death. So that my sin, your sin, if you put your faith in Jesus, is gone like it never even happened, and now we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now when Ron makes it to heaven one day, and he stands before God, God's not gonna say, hmm, Ron, why should I let you in? And Ron's gonna go on to, to spill off a list of, of accomplishments that he has. No, no, no. God looks at Ron and says, Ron, you're perfect. You're righteous. You're holy. You're without sin. Son, home, come on in. Scale up in heaven that, that takes a look at our good versus our bad and see which one outweighs the other. God simply looks at our life and we're either clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ or we're clothed in our own sin. And friend, if you make it to heaven, clothed in your own sin, you won't last long because you'll be judged before God and you'll be sent to hell for all of eternity. That's it. And the idea of justification is my sin on Jesus, his righteousness on me. That's what justification looks like. Thank you, gentlemen. So justification is sometimes referred to as the beautiful exchange. God placed my sin upon Jesus and he placed Jesus' righteousness upon me. That's what justification means. And I'm declared righteous before God. I'm not righteous because I'm a good person. I'm not righteous because I go to church a lot. I'm not righteous because I try to do good things. I'm righteous because I've been declared righteous. Again, it's a legal standing before God. 
And friend, if you've never been saved, you've never been justified. And if you've never been saved or justified, you are still clothed in your own sin. And when you stand before God one day, you're judged and it's over and done with. There's no court of appeals. There's no second chances. You don't get to give a speech as far as why you should be let in. You got no character witnesses. God looks at you and says, no, you're done. So salvation, most important thing in the world. Knowing for sure that I have a right standing before God, most important thing in the world. And justification gives me a right standing before God. The Greek word that's used for justification literally means right clothing. It means you're clothed in the right things. I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to go somewhere that you were not dressed for the occasion. I got called one time, somebody called me, he's like, hey, we're having a get together for some pastors. We're just get together and, uh, and, and uh, have some donuts and pray, you wanna come? Yeah, for sure. Sign me up, I'll be there. It's just Saturday morning, like eight o'clock or something like that. I have a nice Aloha shirt on with board shorts and slippers and I roll up to this pastor's prayer meeting on a Saturday morning, thinking it's gonna be this chill, laid back kind of thing. Dudes are there wearing jackets and ties in Hawaii. It's just like, oh, no, 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 this is bad. I was the only guy in board shorts and slippers there. It was bad, bad, bad. And I felt like this tall. I didn't, didn't come in the right clothes. There's been other times before where, uh, you know, I travel to a church to preach and I show up on a Wednesday night wearing a jacket and tie and the pastor shows up wearing, uh, you know, uh, a golf shirt and, and khakis. And it's like, oh no, I'm way overdressed for this. The idea of justification is you show up to heaven dressed in the appropriate attire that God allows you in because you've prepared yourself. My righteousness, again, is not determined based on me and who I am. It's based on Jesus giving me his righteousness. That's what justification is. How do we get this justification? First of all, we're justified by grace. The word grace means undeserved or unmerited favor. You cannot get justified on your own or because you're a good person. It's undeserved, unmerited favor. God gives you justification. God gives you salvation because he's good, not because you're good. It's grace because you don't deserve it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse number 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified freely through his grace. And again, the word freely means it doesn't cost you anything. There's nothing that you could add to this to provide value to this situation. We're justified freely by grace through the redemption. Again, there's a good uh, soteriology word. Redemption means to purchase back. That we were sold over into the slavery of our sin and God bought us back from that and redeemed us for his self. How did he do it by his grace? Again, you brought nothing, no value to the equation when you came to Jesus. Next, the Bible says that we're justified by faith. Please understand this, that there's only two things that you can bring to your salvation. Faith and repentance, that's it. Not your good works, not your commitment to do the right thing, not your decision to walk with Jesus. You bring faith and repentance and that's it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that I have no hope for salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And repentance means a change of mind where we turn from something. 
And when I repent of my sin, I realize I can't continue to live in my sin. I cannot continue to live the way that I have. I have to turn from that and turn to Jesus. Again, repentance means to change my mind or to agree with God. I agree with God that my sin is grievous. I agree with God that my rebellion cannot stand any longer. I agree with God that I deserve to go to hell when I die because I'm not good enough to do anything else. I agree with God. I have repented of my sin and chosen to agree with God. And so when I bring to my salvation only faith and repentance, and the Bible says, Romans chapter five, verse number one, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm justified by faith. You cannot be saved apart from faith. I've talked with people before and I've gone through the gospel with them. I said, do you believe that you're a sinner? I do. Do you believe that God has the power to save you from your sin? I do. Do you think that you're a good enough person to go to heaven on your own? I do. Eh, breaks, time out. You believe that you're a good enough person to go to heaven on your own? I do. Well, then you can't be saved. If you think that you're good enough to go to heaven, you don't need Jesus then. And a lack of faith means you cannot be saved. We're, we're saved by God's grace through faith. And so faith is what saves us. Uh, verse number two in Romans chapter five, whom, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope in the glory of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe what the Bible says, that he's the only way to heaven. I had the opportunity to, to witness to a Hindu man probably 10 plus years ago. He said, I, I absolutely love to study the leadership lessons of Jesus from the Bible. And it's interesting to me that he explained it that way. You know, he's like, Jesus was a great leader and I want to learn from the way that he led. And I said, well, what, do you believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God? I don't. I just believe that he was a good teacher. Do you believe that Jesus Christ provides salvation? And he says, I believe salvation can be found in a multitude of places. Okay. Well, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father, God, heaven, but by me, do you believe that? And he goes, well, I don't believe that. Okay. And he goes, but I'd be willing to believe in Jesus if, if that meant that I could go to heaven. But you don't believe in the other No. You can't be saved because you don't have faith that God's word is true or that Jesus Christ is the only way. And because of that, you cannot be saved. I didn't say that. I didn't prevent him from being saved. He prevented himself from being saved. So again, it requires God's grace, which he gives freely to everyone. It requires faith, which is our part to believe that God is good to his word. But the Bible also says that we're justified by the blood of Jesus. We're justified by Jesus's blood. Again, it's not just enough to believe that there is a God. It's not just enough to believe that God exists or he's out there somewhere or that there's a higher power somewhere. I have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and by him shedding his blood on the cross was enough to pay for my sins. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross and died. It was a bloody death that he died. Spikes were ran through his hands and through his feet. The Bible says he was beaten so much that you couldn't even tell it was a man. A crown of thorns placed upon his head. He was a bloody, blubbering mess. Lots of blood. Why? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That blood has always been a covering for sin. You go through the Old Testament, 
lambs were taken without spot or blemish. They were taken to the temple. Their throat was slit. Their blood was poured out upon the altar to cover the sins of the people. Why? Because the blood was required to pay for the sin. Somebody has to die. Somebody has to pay the price. Somebody's got to bleed. And Jesus said, I will. And so the Bible tells us that we're justified by the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse number nine, much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That if Jesus saved me, Jesus bled and died on my behalf, his blood covers my sins. Now I am saved from God's punishment. Friend, let me tell you this. If there's been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you will never see hell ever period, end of story, because the Bible says you've been justified and you're saved from any wrath or punishment that is coming upon from God upon those who owe him for their sin. So we're justified by grace, by faith, and by the blood of Jesus. Here's the great part about being saved as well. You can only be saved one time, and the good news is that's enough. When Jesus met with a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter three, Nicodemus came to him by night because he had questions. Nicodemus was a religious teacher, but he didn't have all the answers. And he came to him by night because he didn't want anybody to see what he was doing. He was kind of embarrassed and he sat down with Jesus and Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus kind of scratches his head and says, all right, hold on for a minute. I'm an old man. Am I supposed to climb in my mother's womb a second time and be born? Like, I don't get this. He says, no, 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 you need to be born, first of all, of the water, which we would say is a physical birth and a water sack that a child is born from, born of the water. But secondly, you need to be born of the spirit. The first birth is a physical birth. The second birth is a spiritual birth. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. And Jesus even asked him the question, how do you call yourself a teacher, but you don't understand the things that I'm talking about here? And it just kind of goes to show that Jesus requires humility from us. You come to Jesus with all the answers, he's not really interested in that. If you come to Jesus because you need answers, he'll hear you all day long. And so he comes to Jesus and Jesus says, you need to be born again. Jesus didn't say you need to be born again until the next time that you, you sin and then you need to be born again again. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that, we, that Jesus Christ is the son of God, we shall be saved. The Bible doesn't give a prescription for being resaved. The Bible doesn't talk about a time where we lose our salvation and need to get it back. Again, if you remember our chart from the beginning, I believe that I'm gonna go to heaven when I die because Jesus Christ has forgiven me my sins and I've confessed it to him. 50% of, 52% of Pentecostals believe that to be true because the Pentecostals by and large believe that you can lose your salvation if you fall, fall into sin. I'll use that in air quotes. Talking with a man who was a Pentecostal several years ago, and he said, you know, I just don't buy into the idea that, that you do, that you can just be saved and continue to sin, and you still get to go to heaven one day. That just doesn't sit well with me. Fair enough. Now, what we're talking about here in this, that we're speaking of is sometimes referred to as the doctrine of eternal security, the idea that once you're saved, you're saved forever, that once you're saved, truly saved, you can never do anything to lose your salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. And so this guy that I was talking to, who was a Pentecostal, he's having a problem with that. And he says, you're just telling me that you can go out and sin as much as you want and you still get to go to heaven when you die. Well, that's what the Bible says. Yeah. And he said, well, I don't buy that. And he goes, you know, if you fall into sin, you're gonna lose your salvation. Okay, tell me about that. And he pulled out a passage of the Bible and used 
part of it out of context to talk about, the Bible talks about backsliding. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. Backsliding is anytime we are farther away from Christ than we used to be. Called backsliding for sure. Well, that means you've lost your salvation. I don't buy that. And he said, so you, you're telling me you can just continue to sin as much as you want and you, lose your, you won't lose your salvation. I said, right. And I said, let me ask you this. You're saying that there's a point that I can get in my life where I lose my salvation because I've sinned too much. And he said, yes. I said, okay, let's just take, for instance, uh, I go out tonight and I drink a couple of beers. Am I gonna lose my salvation? And he said, no. Okay, I go out tonight and I drink 12 beers. Will I lose my salvation? No, but it's not a good idea. Of course it's not a good idea. It's not the point. Will I lose my salvation? No. I go out with my guy friends, I have 12 beers, and I go to a strip club. Have I lost my salvation? And he goes, no, but I think you're probably getting close. <laughs> I drink 12 beers, I go to a strip club, and then I do a line of Coke. He goes, oh, you definitely lost your salvation. Was it the line of Coke that did me in? Was that the, the push me over the edge? Well, no, I see what you're trying to do there. I'm just trying to figure out, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Where's the line where you lose your salvation? Shouldn't that be clear? If I once was a child of God and God's gonna kick me out of his family, shouldn't I know what that's for? If there's a line where I used to be eternally secure and know for sure that my sins are forgiven and then I cross the line and now my sins are no longer forgiven and now I'm gonna split hell wide open when I die, but there's an imaginary line that nobody really knows where it's at. Oh yeah, that's why you gotta walk in the spirit. Dude, I'm not buying it. I asked him, I said, if you died, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? And he said, nobody can be 100% sure. Nobody. What if the Bible disagreed with you? Well, of course I believe the Bible, but the Bible doesn't say that. Okay, take a look at 1 John chapter 5. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the Son of God. I'm writing to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life even to those who believe on the name of the Son of God. It says right here that we can know, not hope so, think so, be 90% sure. It says we can know that we have eternal life. Well, yeah, but it doesn't tell you how. No, it does. To those that believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus is the way that we make it to heaven, not by what we've done. And we talked for, man, probably an hour because there were pockets of time that I really thought I was getting through to him. I'm never into the sake of an argument or the sake of an argument to prove that I'm right. I believe in investing my time in evangelism, not trying to argue with people. And so there's a brief window that I thought that, that, that he was open to receive it. He goes, well, if what you're saying is true, then that means that we can just sin and sin and sin and God's grace always forgives it. Yeah. Well, I've never heard of anything like that. Romans chapter five, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That when I sin, God's grace always covers it. He goes, well, that means you could just sin as much as you want to and get away with it. That's why Paul wrote Romans chapter six, verse number one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Therefore, yield yourselves not as instruments to unrighteousness, but yield yourselves as instruments unto righteousness. Look, if they didn't have a choice that we're gonna lose their salvation for sinning, Paul wouldn't have said, hey, don't choose to sin, choose to do the right thing. And he wouldn't have warned them to not do that. Dude, you cannot out the grace of God. And let me just tell you, Jesus Christ died to give you hope. 
And when I talk about hope, I'm not talking about, I hope everything works out or I hope everything goes my way. I'm talking about a confident expectation in God based on his character and the promises of his word. I know this to be true. I have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ because I've been forgiven of my sins and I've been saved. I have hope inside of me today that all this is gonna work out because God's in charge. I have peace inside of me because I know that God's at work. Peace is not the absence of trials, but peace is the recognition in my heart that God is faithful and he is in charge and he will bring everything to resolution as he sees fit. And that gives me great peace. So I have hope and peace because of Jesus and his salvation. But here's the thing, if I think to myself, the next time I blow it, I lose all of that, I don't have peace, I have fear. If I think to myself, oh, I hope I didn't sin too much because now my, my ticket to heaven got revoked. Now I got kicked out of God's family. Now I need to get resaved again. Now I need to go before the church and confess every wrong thing that I've ever done. Then that doesn't bring peace. That brings confusion. And fear and confusion are not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God wants you to know for sure that you're saved. Or God wants you to know for sure that you're not saved very black and white with him. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, friend, do not leave here until you know for sure that your sins are forgiven. Look, you did nothing to gain your salvation, therefore you can do nothing to keep your salvation. The only thing that you brought to your salvation was faith and repentance and a whole heaping truckload of your stinky, smelly, repugnant, filthy, pus-infested sin. That's all you brought to God. And so the idea that you think that, oh, I can keep my salvation by doing the right thing. Friend, you couldn't even save yourself. You were without hope. We cannot keep our salvation on our own. We need somebody to keep it for us. And Jesus says, oh, I got you. I'll save you, but I'll also keep you. If you downloaded a copy of the notes, if you didn't, go home and download the notes for today's message. I got probably 15 different verses that talk about the fact that once we're saved, we're always saved. John chapter five, verse number 24, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. That word condemnation means judged for or sent to hell because of their sin, but it's passed from death into life. That the moment that you got saved, you passed from death to life. And if I can lose that, then that means I gotta go back from life to death again, and then I go back from death to life again. For how long? If I can lose my salvation, then my eternal life is not good for eternity. It's only good until the next time that I sin, or fall into sin, or cross some imaginary line that somebody thinks would cause me to lose my salvation. I'm not really adopted into God's family. I'm more of a foster kid that hangs around for a while until bad behavior gets me kicked out of the house. But the Bible says I'm adopted into the family of God. And God gives us the story of the prodigal son, who when he went out and was rebellious and went his own way and did his own thing, the father, when he saw him, ran to him and welcomed him back and threw a big party for him because his son was dead, but now he's alive again. I'm just glad to have my son back. That's a picture of the fact that you and I can rebel against God and God always welcomes us back every single solitary time. John chapter six, Jesus says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me that all which he's given me, I should lose nothing but shall raise it up again at the last. Jesus says, every single person that my Father gives me, I'm not gonna lose one of them, ever. 
Because he says, this is the reason God sent me to save those which are lost. John chapter 10, Jesus says this, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Jesus said this, I've got them wrapped up tight in my hand and nobody's gonna pluck them out of my hand. And my father also has them wrapped in his hand and nobody can pluck them out of my father's hand. So we are secure, no man. That means you. You can't do enough to lose your own salvation because no man is powerful enough to pluck us out of the hand of Jesus and of the Father. That should bring great hope to us. Romans chapter five, verse number nine, much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. John says at the end of John chapter three, he who hath the son hath everlasting life. He who hath not the son hath not life and the wrath of God abides on him. So if you got Jesus, you've got everlasting life. And you don't have to worry about wrath or condemnation or hell or punishment because Jesus did all of that on the cross for you. The day that he took upon himself my sin and yours, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a day it was that Jesus took my sin away. What a day. Romans chapter eight, verse one, there's therefore no condemnation that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans chapter eight, verse number 15, for you've received not the spirit of bondage again into fear, but received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, we haven't received the bondage of the law again where we have to be really good people to go to heaven. We've received adoption through Jesus Christ that we can now call God our Father. Jesus says in John chapter one that he came and to them that believe on him gave he power to become the sons and implied there is the daughters of God, even to those that believe on his name. It's really simple. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ as Savior, there's been a time in life where you've been saved or born again, you're adopted into the family of God and God's gonna keep you until the day that you see him face to face because he which began a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what that verse means. That should bring us great hope this morning that I cannot out the grace of God. I cannot lose my salvation. I cannot do anything that would cause me to be kicked out of God's family. Again, if you downloaded the notes or you wanna take a look at it later, I've got probably six or seven other verses in there, but the Bible is crystal clear. There's never been a single person in all the Bible that was ever re-saved. There's never been a single solitary person in the Bible that was born again, again. There's no time in, in all of the Bible that a person who had trusted in Christ lost their salvation. Now, does the Bible have record of false professions? Definitely. Jesus had a follower by the name of Judas who betrayed Jesus. And sometimes people say, oh, well, Judas was probably a Christian. Judas wasn't a Christian. Oh, Judas lost his salvation because he committed suicide. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that anybody commits suicide loses their salvation. The Bible says that when they were at the Last Supper, that the devil entered into Judas. Judas was demon-possessed. And no believer can be possessed by a devil, ever. If you're a Christian, you cannot be demon-possessed. Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. Satan can't cast out Satan. By the same token, one who is filled with the Holy Spirit cannot entertain demons inside of them. So Judas was just a, a fake believer. He said he was a follower after Jesus. He was all about himself, though. So Judas didn't lose his salvation. Judas was never saved. But real deal, 
salvation, you can't take that from anybody. Real deal salvation, you couldn't lose it if you wanted to. We think about salvation and everything that it gives to us. I was a nine-year-old boy. I remember I was getting ready for, for church one Sunday morning and I went into my mom. She was getting ready in the bathroom and I went in the bathroom and my mom and I said, Mom, I need to be saved. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll talk about it after church today. And I said, Mom, I can't wait. Like, I realize now that if like, we die on the way to church, I'm gonna go to hell because I, I've, I've sinned against God. And she was like, we'll talk about it after church. I go, fine, I'll just go to my room and, and pray myself. I don't need you. And uh, she was like, okay, hold on. And so my dad came in and he opened the Bible and went through the scriptures and, and everything. And I remember as a nine-year-old boy recognizing my need for, for, for God, or recognizing my need to be saved. I hadn't committed any great egregious sins at that time, but I realized I'd sinned against the Holy God and I needed to be born again. And that day as a nine-year-old boy, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. I didn't fully grip at that moment the magnitude of that decision. I think most people when they come to faith in Christ don't really realize how big of a deal that is. When people accept Jesus Christ as Savior here at Huikala, I tell them this is the most important day you'll ever have in all of your life. You don't get it right now, but hopefully one day you will. But I remember as a nine-year-old boy the change that God did in me in that moment. Now, was I perfect from that point forward? No, not at all. <laughs> I remember uh, my parents had gotten me in the habit of uh, giving in church. I think it's a very, very good thing. We, my parents taught me from a young age, every time you go to church, you give to the Lord out of worship. And every Sunday, they would give me a dollar, give this in Sunday school as an act of worship to the Lord. Okay, great. And so then uh, somewhere along the way, uh, my uh, smart nine-year-old self began to think to myself, if there's 52 weeks in a year and I get a dollar every single week, that's $52. That's a lot of money when you're nine years old. And I thought to myself, like they're not taking like giving records here. I don't put it in the envelope. They like, give a statement to my parents. Nobody knows if I'm giving or not. And then I began to rationalize too at nine years old, it's only a dollar, right? So what did I do? I started pocketing with the dollar. I was so smart, oh, so smart. Stealing from God at nine years old. Um, and then, lo and behold, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out, and it did. One Sunday after church, uh, my parents uh, and I had gone to Dairy Queen for lunch. And I eat my lunch, and I said, hey, can I get a blizzard? And mom and dad said, no. And I said, well, I can buy it with my own money. And then the question comes, where did you get this money from? And they said, do you have it with you right now? I said, yes. And they said, pull it out. And I pulled out of my pants, wadded up, about 15 wadded up $1 bills. And they said, where did you get that? From church? What do you mean from church? Did somebody pay you money at church for something you didn't? No, I took it for myself. Did you reach in the basket and take that money? No, I've just been skimming it one week at a time. <laughs> in my lifetime, I remember getting spankings and I very rarely remember what I got it for, but that one, I never forgot that one, right? <laughs> oh, my soul. But I realized at a young age, God has what he wants and I got what I want and sometimes they don't jive. And every time I choose to do my own thing, it always ends poorly. And again, I didn't realize at the time, but that same heart that that nine-year-old boy has still has in that 43-year-old man today where I just want to do my own thing. And God says, that part of you has to die to get what I want for you. And so again, as a nine-year-old boy, I think I'd skimmed $15 from the offering basket, but that was kind of the biggest sin of my life at that point, right? But I knew I needed to be saved. And I asked God to save me. 
And the moment of salvation, so many different things happen. First of all, salvation gives us the forgiveness of sin. Every wrong you've ever done, the Bible says is wiped away under the blood of Jesus Christ. That I tell people sometimes, it's like God has a big whiteboard up in heaven with every wrong thing you've ever done. And the moment that you get saved, God erases all of it, not with a dry erase, uh, eraser, but with the blood of Jesus, he takes it and wipes off every wrong thing you've ever done. And it's just gone, just forgiven over and done with the Bible says he takes our sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more the Bible says he takes all of our iniquities and places them in the depths of the sea and then our sin is just gone 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 and God doesn't even remember it anymore I got that the day that I got saved it gives us the freedom from the power of sin again Romans chapter 6 tells me I have a choice now I can continue to sin if I want to but why would you do that stupid you were saved from your sin why would you go back to it you got the opportunity now to choose to either continue to serve your sin or to serve Jesus. Don't go back. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, even as a fool returns to his folly, so a dog returns to his vomit. Just like a dog goes back and eats its own vomit, you and I continue to go back to our sin only to find it's about as um, appealing and appetizing as vomit is. Don't go there. You got a choice. And the day that you got saved, you got power over that. The Bible says in Romans 6, sin hath no more dominion over you. The Bible says that we got a new beginning and a new purpose. The day that I got saved, the Bible says all the old man is dead and now I get to have Christ living through me. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God gives us the promise of eternal life. I know for sure with 100% certainty when I fall down dead on this earth, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I wake up with, in glory with Jesus Christ. No questions asked. I know that because I've been saved. The Bible tells us that we have deliverance from wrath and punishment from uh, the punishment that is to come. I know for sure that I'll never be punished for my sin because Jesus already took the punishment on the cross. I know for a fact that I'll never see hell because I no longer am responsible for my own sin. Jesus has paid the price for me. I've been adopted into the family of God. I was once an enemy of God, but God brought me into his family even though I didn't belong and he made me his son he allowed me to be clothed in his son's righteousness. I'm allowed to be seated at the table. The Bible says that I'm joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that everything that Jesus has is available to me at my disposal because I'm a child of his. I now have access to the Father through prayer. I didn't before, but Jesus says, I'm gonna go, and when I go, ask whatever you want in my name, and the Father's gonna give it to you. Because Jesus saved me from my sin, I have the authority to ask God for things. The book of Hebrews tells me that I can go boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. I get to walk into God's throne room and say, hey God, I need some help today. Could you hook me up? You see, in biblical times, walking into a throne room unannounced, that was punishable by death. You didn't go to the throne room of the king unless you were invited, unless you followed all the protocol. The Bible says that we can go boldly to the throne. I just throw the doors open and say, hey, God, I need help, like, quick. How did I get that? I was saved. I was born again. I now have access to the Father. I now have a new family in the body of Christ. God has given me a new family here with you guys. Who we call a Baptist church is my family. It's not just my church family. It's my family. My son graduated from high school. His grandparents weren't here. His aunts and uncles weren't here. You know who was here for him? At his graduation, his church family was. You know why? Because that's our family. God's given us that. What a gift God's given us of being a part of something bigger than ourselves, being a part of a family where we feel like we belong. The day you were saved, the day that I was saved, I got the Holy Spirit inside of me, and God promised that I would never be alone, and I haven't been because the Holy Spirit, God himself, resides inside me. The Holy Spirit helps me to pray when I don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit reminds me of things that Jesus has already taught me. 
The Bible says that the Holy Spirit tells me when I've done wrong, when I've crossed the line into sinful territory, the Holy Spirit goes, ah, don't do that. What a gift that is. The Bible says that we now have access to all the promises of God, that God's word is full of promises to those children that God has. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28 is a great promise of God's word. For I know that all things work together for good to them who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. You know who that's written to? It's written to Christians, children of God. If you're not a child of God, that promise of God working everything to good, that doesn't apply to you. That's not yours to take. And so the day that I got saved, this book became alive. The Holy Spirit says that the Spirit of God that resides in me now helps me to understand the Bible better, helps me to live by the Bible better. Oh man, I'm a different person now because I've been saved. This is why when you come to who we call a Baptist church, every single Sunday we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus died for sinners. We're going to tell you how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. We're going to teach you and give you the tools that you need to take that message and take it to as many people as possible because it's the most important thing in all of the world. There's a church in uh, Georgia. Back in July, I think it was, the pastor made an announcement that they were going to suspend all in-person worship services until January. Let's not have church. But check us out online. And he said, this Sunday, uh, we'll be talking about five ways that we can lead through difficult times. And I thought to myself, could you just like preach the Bible or something? That would help people more than your five leadership tips. And then I thought to myself, it's probably a good thing that your church is closed for the next six months because at least maybe uh, people can go to a real church that preaches a real gospel. Look, we're not here to give you leadership platitudes. We're not here to, to feed you ooey-gooey things that'll make you feel good. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that changes our lives. We're here to help you to prepare for the day that you stand before God, that you can stand before him one day with joy, not regret. We're gonna help you, give you the tools that you need to raise up children in your home that love Jesus and wanna serve him with your life. We're gonna give you the tools you need to help take your coworkers from death to eternal life. That's why we exist, because we're all about the gospel. Because you take a look at this list, this is everything that your heart craves. This is everything that your heart desires. And every single bit of it is wrapped up in the gift of Jesus Christ and his salvation. The gospel is the heartbeat of this church. It's what we do, it's why we do it. We live for the glory of God and for, to make Jesus Christ known. We live for the edification or the building up of believers and we live for the evangelization of the lost. That's it. Because this is a big deal. Now, some final thoughts this morning. First of all, genuine salvation, it can't be lost. If you are really saved, you really can't lose it. Now, sometimes people say, well, I remember one time I was, you know, four years old at a vacation Bible school and I raised my hand for something. I'm not really sure what that was. Am I saved? Probably not. Probably not. Because salvation comes about by faith and repentance. If you just raise your hand for something, not really sure what, you're probably not saved. I don't say that to freak anybody out or to scare you. I just want to tell you, salvation is for sure. So don't walk out of here being mostly sure that you might be saved or hope that maybe one day when you die, you might go to heaven. Be certain of it. Sometimes uh, in the past probably 12 months or so, there's been some Christian celebrities, which I hate the even term of that. We've created a cult of personality where people are drawn to a person because they sing a song well or because they uh, preach a message, one message well or they're a good speaker or they're a funny person. And we're drawn to them as, as Christian celebrities. 
And some of these folks in the cult of personality over the last 12 months have denounced their faith in Christ. Say that they no longer believe in the God of the Bible, no longer believe in the truths of God's word. The question that always comes up, well, is that person still saved? The first question is, were they ever saved? And if the answer to that is yes, then they're still saved. Hey, look, we don't get to renounce our sonship or daughtership on a whim. My son Vanderlei just graduated high school. He starts college this week. Crazy times. I remember the day he was born. I remember cutting his cord. And just he's all grown up. He decides he's 18 now. He knows all there is to know about life. He doesn't need a mom and dad anymore. He decides, hey guys, I'm on my own. And here's the worst part. I don't even want to talk to you guys anymore. You guys aren't my family. I'm legally changing my last name. I'm no longer a king. I'm just out of here. And walks out the front door with a, a stick and a little bandana tied up on his back, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. That's why you laugh. The question is then, do I still have a son? Yeah, of course I do. He'll always be my son. What he just said breaks my heart. Well, he doesn't claim you as his dad. I don't care what he claims. I was there the day that I clipped his, his belly button, okay? I was there. You don't get the right to tell me that I'm not his dad. He's my son. Man, I don't talk to him for six months. Do I still have a son? Yeah, I have a estranged son at this point that I don't speak with a lot, but he's still my boy. I see him down in Waikiki, smoking pot with a bunch of guys hanging out on the corner. Is that my son still? Breaks the heart of his father to see it, but that's my boy. It hurts my heart. I might even roll the window down and wave at him. Hey, bud, I love you. Still my son. Year goes by, I don't hear from him. And he shows up one day with his hat in his hand at the front door saying, Dad, can I come home? What do I say? You're my son. You always have been. You always will be. There was a time, a period in his life that he didn't want anything to do with me. There was a time, a period that he didn't speak with me. There was a time where he broke my heart by just existing and breathing. Broke my heart, but still my son. When you choose to sin against the holy God, who's your father, you're breaking the heart of your dad. Simple as that. When you choose rebellion and you choose sin again and again, God sit here and looks at you in your life and goes, this is gonna end poorly, this is gonna end badly, but you're still my son. And again, if the idea of sinning too much that we would lose our salvation means that we're no longer God's son, then the question becomes, Hebrews chapter 12, who is chastisement for? Chastisement is discipline. The Bible says that God chastens those whom he loves. He disciplines, he spanks his kids when they get out of line. We've been in the grocery store and I've seen some kids pitch some holy fits before in the grocery store. You know how many times in my life I've ever spanked somebody else's kid? Never. I just look at it and I go, man, it stinks to be your parents. Just go on. I don't care. Hey, my kids, I go over one aisle so I don't have to hear your kid screaming. If he's screaming too loud, I'll go over three aisles. I don't want to hear it. Not my kid. My kid pitches a holy fit in the grocery store. We've left a cart of groceries in the aisle before. Just left it there and walked out to, to the car. Uh-uh, you're not going to act like this. There's been times where I've stood holding my son's hand while we wait for the handicap stall because there's enough room to give a spanking in the handicap stall. Right? <laughs> oh, you want to go there? No, we're waiting for the big stall, both of us. Well, you know what? That's my, my son. I'm not going to allow my son to do things that are destructive and that will one day hurt him. I love him too much. 
And the Bible says God chastens his children. And the Bible says if you don't receive discipline or chastening from God, <coughs> it's because you're bastards. <laughs> you're kids without dads. You don't even have a dad. That's why you get away with everything because you never had a father to love you and take care of you. Because God is not your heavenly father. And when you sin, you can just continue to sin because you don't have a heavenly father looking out for you. But if you belong to God, he's not gonna allow you to get away with sin forever. But genuine salvation can never be lost. So again, can one lose their salvation? No. Well, what if somebody apostatizes and says that they don't believe? The question is, were they ever saved? If they were, they cannot lose it. That's for certain. True believers will be divinely preserved and will faithfully persevere because they're saved and kept by God's power, not their own. It's not a matter of you and I being good enough to hang on to our salvation. We're preserved by the power of God. We were saved by the grace of God. You and I factor into our salvation very little. Again, the only thing that you brought to your salvation was faith, repentance, and a whole lot of sin. That's it. So when we talk about salvation, salvation is given freely, but it costs God everything. I'm thankful that when people come to faith in Christ, you don't have to go to a class you don't have to go to a catechism. We don't have to wait for a baptism. We don't have to take you through your first communion. You say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I know that I cannot make it to heaven on my own. And I'm asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins and save me today. Done. God whips out his master fountain pen that he has in heaven because I believe that God probably writes with a fountain pen in heaven. He opens up a book called The Book of Life and he writes your name. And the Bible says no man can blot your name out of the book of life. No man. And your name is in that book of life. He takes your sin off of you, throws it off of you because it's been done and paid for. And he robes you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you are justified, not just for one day, but for all of eternity. The day that you get saved. Free to you, cost him everything though. It cost Jesus Christ his life. It was so heavy that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sweat as it were great drops of blood and said, guys, there's another way other than me going to the cross. Now's the time to pull that card out, but I know there's not, so I'll willingly go anyways. And Jesus willingly suffered, bled, died to pay for our sin and to give us salvation freely to us, but at a great cost to him. Salvation is why Jesus came. This is why it's a big deal. Jesus didn't come again, to give us pithy leadership platitudes. He didn't come to just show us how to organize a group of 12 guys into a, a group of people that would change the world. Is there value in that? Definitely, but Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus didn't come to feed people. Jesus didn't come to perform miracles. Jesus didn't come to, to, to heal the sick. He came, he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The whole purpose Jesus came was to save people from their sins. That's why it's a big deal to us and it should be a big deal to you. Salvation's a gift. The moment you've done something to earn it, it's no longer a gift. I have this really cool knife that I carry with me. It just feels manly to flick it out like that, right? I use this knife all the time. I cut open my Amazon boxes with it. I uh, have been known to, to uh, open doors with it and stuff like that. I love it. It even has tape residue on it here from probably cutting something uh, somewhere. I try to carry a knife with me almost at all times. I love it. 
I have this knife and I'm going to give it to my friend Savi over here. Savi, I'm going to give you this knife, but I need to make sure that you come to church every single week for the rest of the year, 52 weeks. If you miss any week, you got to give it back. Okay? Is that a gift? Nope. That's a perfect attendance award. He earned it. Savi, I'm going to give you this gift, but you have to come over every Saturday and wash my car and vacuum it out and spray that new car scent on the inside, right? Is this a gift that I'm giving him? No, he's earning it. He's working for it. But if I say this is yours to do with what you want to, you can take it, cherish it, put it on a plaque in your wall. You can cut open boxes in your, in your room if you want to. You can, you know, chase bad guys off with it. I don't care what you do with it. It's yours. It's a gift. Then it's a gift. He's able to do with it as he pleases. No strings attached. It's a gift. The moment that we tie our works to our salvation, it's no longer a gift. Oh, here's salvation, but you have to go through catechism, you have to be baptized, you have to go to confession, you have to go to mass, and before you die, we gotta pray for you one last time, and then after you're done, we'll pray some candles and hopefully you'll make it there one day. Is that really a gift? Or is that a really long, convoluted process to hopefully make it one day and earn it? Not there. Even if it's good things. Hey, you need to be baptized to be saved. That sounds like a good thing, right? The Bible commands us to be baptized, yeah, but it doesn't require us to be baptized to be saved. Now we're adding works to our salvation. Well, you just need to be a really good person and then you can be worthy of receiving God. I've heard people say before, hey, I'm just trying to get my life cleaned up and then I'll come to Jesus. Oh, you got it backwards. You come to Jesus and he cleans your life up. You come to Jesus with all of your sin because Jesus died for sinners. The Bible says, in the book of Isaiah, that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. And I would encourage you this week, if you've got nothing else to do, do some research on what filthy rags are. It's repugnant, filthy, disgusting in God's sight. That's how God sees us on our best day. You're not good enough to make it to heaven. You're not good enough to keep your salvation, even if you wanted to. It's a gift of God. Next thing we know, that salvation is certain please don't walk out of here today less than 100% sure that you're saved. You can be 100% sure that your sins are forgiven and the heaven's your home. If you've been saved or you've been born again, there's nothing you or anyone else can do to take that away from you. Live in the certainty with the peace and hope and assurance that your salvation is sure. If you're not saved, be saved today. Again, we're not gonna take you through a class. This is not how to be a Baptist. This is not how to join the church. This is not a commitment that you're never gonna sin again for the rest of your life. It's knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Knowing for sure that all the wrong you've ever done in your entire life has been wiped away by the blood of Jesus and that you are declared righteous before God. You need to know that. If you're not saved, be saved today. But if you are saved, would you share that gift with somebody this week? We, um, we got these really cool cards in this week. Get one of these... Uh, our ushers will have uh, packs of five on your way out if you want to grab one of these. On the front, just our church name, and it's got three icons that have become uh, ubiquitous in our society today. It's the uh, people with masks on icon, the social distancing icon, and then the wash your hands icon, <laughs> right? That's all it says on the front. On the back, it says, uh, be our guest this Sunday. Things are strange right now. We get it. You could use some normalcy and consistency. Find hope and encouragement from the one person who never changes, Jesus. And who we call a Baptist, you'll fit right in. Join us this Sunday. And it lists our service times. Uh, it talks about Wednesdays. We have small groups online via Zoom at 7 o'clock. And then on the right-hand side, it says, you can have your sins forgiven and be 100% sure of heaven. And it has the gospel. 
That's three quarters of this whole invitation. You know why? Because it's the most important message people will ever get. I've even gone so far as to say this, and again, if, if I'm wrong, I'm just wrong. I say, truthfully, I really don't care if you ever visit our church or not, as long as you know for sure that heaven is your home. Would you take this and read this? Because sometimes people say, well, I'm busy on Sundays. It's my only day off. You know, uh, we take the kids to the park on Sundays. We, we have a family get together every Sunday. Or I, I have another church I go to. No problem. If you never come to our church, that's fine. Would you read this and know for sure that when you die, heaven's your home? If you have questions on that, I'd be happy to answer it. We've got books on our back table here that are no cost to you called Paid in Full. It's a little mini book. Probably sit down and read the whole thing, maybe an hour or more. It talks about the gospel. Take that, give it to somebody. Give them a $10 Starbucks gift card that says, hey, take this book, grab a cup of coffee, and sit down and read it on me. Man, that'll change somebody's life. But if we really believe that salvation is that big of a deal, then we need to live like it. If I really believe that the gift that Jesus Christ has given me has changed my life and has the power to change other people, I need to live like that. Hey, look, nobody's going to be changed by politics. Nobody's going to be changed by government programs. Everybody can be changed by the gospel. Everybody. Tell them I'll call them back. Everybody can be changed by the gospel. And so I would encourage you, be about the gospel every single day in your life. The way that you live your life, the way that you talk to others, grab a stack of invites, talk to a neighbor. Again, this is a time even where we have our services online. Hey, if you're not getting out, watch this service online Sunday, 10 a.m. Hey, you're not able to watch on Sunday, 10 a.m. Hey, I'll send you a link to the, the, the website on Monday. You can watch the video then. Hey, I don't care what you do. Just share your faith with people. This is too good to keep yourself. This is way too good. Just keep it and sit on it. I confess that I, I grew up in a church where when I got saved at nine years old, I told my friends at school that was kind of it. I never shared my faith with another human being until I was in my early 20s. I didn't know how to share the gospel until I was probably, I don't know, probably 24. But man, the first time I shared the gospel with somebody and they accepted and put their faith in Jesus, I thought, I want to do this for the rest of my life. It's just power in this. Don't forget the power that's in your own salvation. Most important thing in the world, if you're not saved, be saved today. If you don't know what that means, stop by and see me on your way out today. Pastor, you're talking about being saved. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Man, I would be happy to have somebody in our church sit down and take five to 10 minutes with you and tell you how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home and you can be declared righteous in God's sight and you can begin a journey of joy like you've never known before. Most important thing is though, salvation it's for certain, and it's found in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.